Zechariah chapter 2. I really wasn't emotional until worship. But God bless Nicole and Jenea. That was that was that was good. Thank you, Lord. So tonight we are continuing our study of the book of Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. He remembers his promises. He remembers his people. And no prophet in the Bible gave a more clear and powerful message of the ultimate triumph of God and his plan and program than Zechariah. You see that throughout this book. Because the whole book, the whole letter, the whole message from God through Zechariah to the people of God is a message of hope in the midst of despair. Because let's be reminded, especially if you were not here last week, just where the people of God were at this time in history. They had come back from exile in Babylon after 70 years, many of them. And now for almost 20 years, even after that, the city was still in ruins. This great city of Jerusalem that, you know, at one time was glorious, now is nothing but a lot of rubble and broken down buildings. And the very centerpiece of the city, the temple of God, just has the foundation and nothing more to it. And even the people of God themselves are struggling. Remember, they used to be an independent nation, the nation of Israel. And now they are nothing more than sort of a, a vassal state of Persia. They are being ruled by another. We learned that in the very first verse. King Cyrus now is ruling. I mean, you and I who've lived in America all our life and we've enjoyed our freedom and independence, we can't even understand what it would be like one day to all of a sudden not have our freedom and independence anymore. But these people understand that. And I think for many of them, as the people of God, they even wonder, will we ever experience the favor of God again in our lives? Will God ever... Bless us again. Will, will we see the glory of Israel again? Will we see the glory of Jerusalem and, and the glory of His temple? Will we experience any of these things? And it's in the, in the midst of all this that God sends Zechariah with a message of hope. To say, first of all, don't get crushed by your circumstances now. Through me and my word and my promises, begin to look past your present circumstances to the glory that is coming, to the good that is coming, and realize that you may not be in a position right now where you can see it, but the best is yet to come. And once again, God is going to visit his people. And God wants them even in the midst of these kind of circumstances, to be encouraged. And so tonight, in Zechariah chapter 2, we have three messages 
through the prophet Zechariah as he gets these visions from the Lord. And the first message here, in the first five verses of Zechariah chapter 2, are to let God's promises correct our perceptions. Let God's promises correct our perceptions. Let me read. Zechariah's vision starts out with, I looked again, and there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? And he replied, well, I'm going to measure Jerusalem in order to determine its width and its length. At this point, the angelic messenger who spoke to me went out and another messenger came to meet him and said to him, hurry, speak to this young man. And I believe this young man is just representative of the people of Israel. As follows, Jerusalem will no longer be enclosed by walls because of the multitude of people and animals there. But I, the Lord says, will be a wall of fire surrounding Jerusalem and the source of glory in her midst. The measuring line here represents conventional wisdom. Human estimation. Human measurement. And notice God breaks in, in this vision, and says, Whoa! Don't measure things as the people of God by your human estimation, by conventional wisdom, because what I want to do with my people cannot be measured in conventional ways. It is way beyond what you all could cook up even in your own minds. It's much bigger than that. I don't want a city that simply can be measured. I want to create a city without walls. A city where no measurement is necessary. That's how big our God is. Now, a couple of things. What this tells us as the people of God, and this, these messages out of Zechariah, I now am beginning to understand why God led me as the pastor of the Oasis to these, because these are messages that even we as a church need to hear at this time. Because so often, whether we are individual followers of Jesus Christ or we are a community of believers, we can sit around and go, well, I'm going to try to evaluate or estimate what God can do with us or with me. And it's always too small what we think God can do because so often, just like here, we're trying to figure it out from a human standpoint. And we even look at ourselves and go, well, I could never do this or that because we're looking at us. We're looking at our limitations and our lack of resources and all these things that the people of God were even looking at there and going, we, we are limited into what we see could happen. And we limit ourselves as, as churches and we limit ourselves as individuals for what God could do. And we don't even attempt it because we stop when we start measuring things from a human standpoint. And God is saying here, this message of hope through the prophet, 
stop trying to measure things from a conventional wisdom, human estimation type of deal. I, your God, am bigger than that. And I can do so much more through your life and through your church and through a community of believers than you could ever imagine. Doesn't it remind us of that verse in Ephesians where Paul says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think? Way beyond. And not only is this speaking to us about even attempting something, this even speaks to us about even how we evaluate our own lives and the life of our church. Or the life of anything spiritual that we do for God. Because we can never measure it simply by what we can grasp and and our human measuring tools uh, as human beings. It's way bigger than that. We don't know the scope of what God is doing at any given time. I think again about our little church here and think about all the responses that that we as a church and, and that maybe I as a pastor get from people all over the world that somehow are touched by our ministry. And I think to myself, how could we sit around and even try to figure out how many lives have been impacted by our ministry? We, we could. The only time that's going to be evident to us is when we get to heaven. And then God opens it up and says, here's the impact of your ministry. And the same thing is true with each of you as individuals. Don't get caught into the trap of trying to measure, you know, what kind of impact or influence you're having if you're trying to live for the Lord down here in human, because there's no way we can do it. It is always going to be bigger than what we could ever imagine. And so God is saying to his people, let my promises correct your perceptions. We're not just building a city here that's going to be able to be measured. Notice over in verse 11 of chapter 2, God says through the prophet, many nations are going to flood into this city. In fact, he tells the people through the prophet Zechariah two things about this. One, it's going to be a populous city. It's not going to be able to be contained because Jews aren't the only ones that's going to inhabit it. There's going to be people from all nations flood into Jerusalem at one time. Now, obviously, we know he's talking here about the earthly kingdom of Jesus, but he's trying to get them to see, but God wants to do something even greater with you right now in preparation for this future coming kingdom. And then God says, I'll protect you. You don't need those walls anyway, because I'm going to literally be a wall of fire around my people. I will take on protecting you. God himself will be our protection. God says to his people. I hope you know that. That not only can God and, 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 and God wants to do so much more through you and in you than, than so don't try to measure it. Don't try to wrap your mind around it on a human level. Just by faith, start stepping out in faith and saying, God, whatever you want to do. We need to do that as a church. Not limiting God and what God can do in and through us just because of our numbers or our resources and limitations and all these things. But say, God, you are the God of the universe. You can do anything. 
And that, God, you're going to be our protection. And you are our protection. You are a wall of fire around us at all times. And then I love this. He also says, at the end of verse 5 here, he says, and... I will be the source of glory in her midst. God is saying, not only will I protect you, but the strength of the city is the presence of the glory of God dwelling among us. That's the strength. And let me say something about that, even as as modern day Christians today and how we measure the strength of something. Because we do this in churches, and I as a pastor know because you know, you, you get around other pastors and all of that. And, and even pastors, even the leaders or supposed spiritual leaders of churches, you know how most of them measure the strength of their church? I've told you this before. Nickels and noses. Nickels and noses. If you ever would go to a pastor fellowship, which, trust me, I don't go to too many because they're not the most uplifting things in the world. The first questions you'll hear pastors ask each other is, well, what's your offering and how many are you running? Because that's, that's how even they measure strength. They measure the strength of their church by how many people they have attending and what their offerings are like. And God is saying to his people, no, the strength of your life and the strength of your church or anything that you do for me is, is my glory dwelling in the midst of you? Do people sense my presence there? Is God amongst us? That's how you measure the strength of anything. And God says, when I am amongst you, then I will start to draw others toward you. That's why he's saying in verse 11, many nations then will flow to you because they will know I'm in the midst of you. Folks, we need to hear that at the Oasis. It's never going to be to measure the strength of our ministry by anything other than is God amongst us? Is his glory dwelling in us? Because if that's the case, then that's our strength. God with us, God in us, God manifested through us, that people can come and go, God is here. God is here. That's when you know the strength of something. That's how we know the strength of our own life. That's how we know the strength of anything that we do for God, is the glory of God dwelling in the midst of us. So the first part of this vision is reminding the people of God, let my promises correct your perceptions and your outlook. Secondly, beginning in verse 6, let God's summons awaken our urgency. Let God's summons awaken our urgency. God is saying, hold there, up, up. Flee from the Northland, says the Lord, for the four winds of heaven I have scattered you, says the Lord. Escape, and it should be, escape to Zion, you who are among and live among the Babylonians. For the Lord who rules over all says to me that for his own glory he has sent me to the nations that plundered you. 
The first part of this is a word of warning to God's people. He's saying, basically, flee the world. And the world here is represented by Babylon, going back even to Babel. Babylon in the Bible always represents those who are in determined and organized hostility and opposition to God. And notice he's saying, escape to Zion. Because he's saying, I'm going to come and judge the Babylonians and you don't want to be with them. You want to be distinct. You want to separate yourself. Flee the world and return home. Come home and help rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. He's saying to his people here. And the Bible throughout tells the people of God, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in all that is in it. We love the people of the world, but we do not love the system that opposes and is in determined hostility toward God. We separate ourselves from that system, from that outlook, from that mindset by devoting ourselves to the Lord and to the worship of the Lord. So there's a word of warning here. God is saying, be urgent about this. Get busy doing the things that you as the people of God need to do. And don't continue to allow the world to drag on you. And then he gives a word of comfort. Why is he coming against the Babylonians and other nations who have plundered the the Jews? I love this. Because he says, for anyone who touches you, touches the pupil or apple of his eye. I am about to punish them in such a way, he says, that they will be looked at by their own, or looted by their own slaves. Then you will know that the Lord who rules over all has sent me. I want to go back to that phrase, pupil or apple of his eye. God is reminding his people through the prophet Zechariah, and he wants to remind you tonight, as the people of God, you are the apple of his eye. You are always at the very center of his gaze. He never takes his eye off of you, is what the phrase is saying. You might think God is not seeing you. God always sees his people. You are a treasure to God, is what this is saying. He cherishes you. You are the apple of his eye. What a word of comfort to a group of people who thought that maybe God had forgotten about them or that they would never experience the favor of God again. God was reminding them, you have my favor right now. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I see you. In fact, you're never out of my sight. God fills his vision with the delight of his people. Think about that. And then, in the last few verses, 10 through 13, the prophet Zechariah reminds us to let God's presence inspire our praise. 
I'll read these verses and then I want to share some thoughts with you. Sing out and be happy, Zion, my daughter. For look, I have come. I will settle in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day of salvation. And they will also be my people. Indeed, I will settle in the midst of you all. Then you will know that the Lord who rules over all has sent me to you. The Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will choose Jerusalem once again. Be silent in the Lord's presence, all people everywhere, for he is being moved to action in his holy dwelling place. Now, first of all, notice in verse 11, something, again, just that would have blown Zechariah's mind and blown every Jew's mind at that time. And that is that God is saying to them that the very nations that surround you, and think about that even today, the very nations that surround Israel, one day, those who oppress, those who who oppose, those who are obstacles to everything that Israel wants to do, God promises one day, when they truly understand who I am and they come to believe in me and join themselves to me, they're going to go from being your enemies to being fellow citizens of the kingdom. And even people from these nations will join together and flood into Israel and to Jerusalem to worship me, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But there's an emphasis here in this passage. It is on the presence of God. Notice twice here in these verses, God says, I'm going to settle down in your midst. Notice he says that. He says it in verse 10, and then he says it again in verse 11. I will settle in your midst. It is a reminder even to the people of God, even at that time, that God doesn't just want to dwell in in temples and tabernacles and, and buildings. He wants to dwell with his people in a more up close, face to face way. And think about this. Think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, think what lengths he was willing to go to to connect with us on a more personal level. So that he could literally be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, this begins to actually be fulfilled with the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem. But one day, the Bible says that Jesus Christ will rule and reign the earth from Jerusalem. And one day, the very king of kings will settle in the midst of Israel and the nations will flock. Even those who have been enemies will one day see the glory of the king of kings and turn in belief. Because God all along, what God has wanted more than anything else is to be with his people. 
Think about it. That's what God wants more than anything else. He wants to be with us. He, He loves us and treasures us and cherishes us so much that being with us is what He cares about and wants more than anything else. I want to be with my people. That's why even at the end of the book of Revelation, what's the book of Revelation's hopeful message to all of us? I will be their God. They will be my people. I will be right there in the midst of them for all of eternity. That's what it's always been. God gave me a sort of a very maybe inadequate picture, but, but something for me to cling to for a little bit, just to remind me a little bit about my Father's heart for us. When it comes to God just wants us to be with us. I had this vision myself of when I was a little boy. And then when my son was a little boy. And my father and one day I was out mowing the lawn. This is back east where we have lawns. And I remember as a little boy and then my little boy at one time being out there in a the yard pushing their little plastic lawnmower. And I thought about the fact that at that moment, it, it wasn't like I, when I was that little boy, or my son, when he was that little boy pushing that little plastic lawnmower, was really accomplishing anything. The beauty of the moment was the father wanted to spend time with the son, and the son wanted to spend time with the father. And that's the way God is with us. I might think, God, but I'm just pushing around a little plastic lawnmower, and I'm not really accomplishing anything, and God's like, I don't care. I just want you to be with me. I just want to be with you. And that's our God. So no wonder then, the prophet says, what should be our response when we begin to think about the lengths God is willing to go to to be with us? Well, first notice, verse 10. Sing out and be happy. Our life should be a life of praise and worship and adoration to God when we think about the fact that he wants to be with me and what he was willing to do to be with me. He not only left the glories of heaven and took upon himself humanity, he was willing to go to a cross and take upon himself my sin so that he could be my sin bearer and so my sin could be forgiven and so that any barrier between me and God could be taken care of and dissolved so that God and I could have a relationship and fellowship and an intimate connection and communion. That's the length that my God was willing to go to to be with me. Why not sing out? and be happy about that. Why is it so hard for us as Christians to be worshipers? Why is it that you feel like sometimes you're pulling teeth to get Christians to come and worship the Lord and praise Him? How could we not come and praise Him when we think about 
who He is to us and what He's done for us. Our whole life should be a life of praise and worship. And then, the second response, verse 13, be silent in the Lord's presence. You see, there's a time in worship to sing out and be happy and joyful and joyous and rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. But then there's a time where we're almost so overcome and overwhelmed by the Lord and by who He is and what He's done for us that we just stand in awe and we just stand speechless. Because there's nothing that we can really say when we think about it. There's no way we can express. There's no way we can articulate. There's, there's nothing more for us to do but just stand in awe of God. And both responses are right. Both responses are awesome. Both responses are right in their time. When we think about the fact, as Zechariah reminds us, to let the presence of God inspire our praise. There's not a one of us here tonight that does not have a personal relationship with God, that doesn't have God's presence with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. My goodness. May we let God's presence inspire our praise. And this is what the people of God needed to hear. Again, they were not in a good place. They were struggling. But God says, you need, to, you need to know who you are right now in me and what you have in me. And don't look at the rubble and the ruins and, and what's lacking at this point. I'm coming. Things are going to change. In fact, I'm getting ready to do so much that you're not even going to be able to wrap your minds around it. I love this. Notice in verse 13. It says, Be silent in the Lord's presence, all people everywhere, for He is being moved to action in His holy dwelling place. I love that word, moved. It literally means to be awoken or aroused or stirred up, and you think, well, you mean God just sort of like sitting up there, not doing anything? No, no, no. First of all, God is always active. What he's talking about here is that a lot of times, again, as human beings and even as God followers, we don't perceive it because it's not conspicuous. Many times God is working behind the scenes. And what the prophet here is saying is, oh, God is getting ready. He is stirring himself up. He's awakening. You know, they talk about awakening the sleeping giant. Well, God's the ultimate sleeping giant. And God is getting ready to wake up and be aroused and stirred up. And he's getting ready to do something great amongst his people. Because we're the apple of his eye. And it was like God was saying to me, as the pastor of the Oasis Church, Jeff, prepare your people. I am getting ready to move. To do something. In this church. I'm getting stirred up. I'm getting aroused. I'm awakening to action. In my holy dwelling place. And may none of us limit what God in his holy dwelling place is getting ready to do 
because we're trying to measure it by human estimation. Conventional wisdom. Or how we can measure things on a human level. But let God be God. Stop your striving, God says. And know that I am God. Maybe tonight, you're in the midst of discouragement and despair in your life. Then this message of hope is for you too. You need to know that God wants His promises that He has given you in His Word and in your mind and in your heart. He wants it to change your outlook and your perception of your life and your life with Him and what you have in Him. Second, He wants His summons upon your life to inspire a sense of urgency. Don't let the world drag you down anymore. Set your affection on things above. Start laying up treasure in heaven and investing in eternal things. Come home and begin to to help rebuild and build up the kingdom of God. And know that the whole time you're doing it, you are the very apple of God's eye. He never takes His eye off of you. You are always in His gaze. You are His treasure. You are precious to Him. And then let the presence of God that it dwells within you through His Holy Spirit inspire your praise. Count your blessings. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. May we always be thankful that God dwells within us and God's presence is with us. May we sing out and be happy, but also spend some time in silence before the Lord. Standing in awe of Him. Will you do it for me? I'd like to ask Janae and Nicole to come up. I'd like us to stand and end with a praise song tonight. There's a time to be silent, but there's a time to sing out and be happy. So let's sing Blessed Assurance again. Do you mind? I think everyone knows that song pretty well. And I think if you... Listen, look at the words of this song before we close tonight. Notice how personal it is. This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior. It's personal. God wants us to make it personal tonight. To not just corporately lift up our voices in praise to Him, but, but make it personal out of our own heart to God. And before we sing, because after we sing, you are dismissed. I want to remind all of you here tonight that last week I said, next week, I'm asking everyone who comes on Wednesday night to to invite somebody to come with you. Because next week's message is a message that I believe every Christian should hear and hear again and hear all the time. And so I'm hoping that we can even fill this place with even more people than we have here tonight. So think about, pray about who might you invite to come with you next week to Bible study to hear the message of Zechariah chapter 3. Let's lift up our voices, blessed assurance, and after we sing, you are dismissed.